Hi, I'm Laura, and this is the Sapphic Book Review Podcast, the show where I visit with the best writers in sapphic fiction. I hope you enjoy the show, and I hope you learn something new about your favorite authors each week. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe. Welcome to the Sapphic Book Review Podcast. I'm Laura Green. Today's guest is undoubtedly one of our best authors and someone whose writing never fails to impress. To say I'm a fan is a huge understatement. Claire Ashton, welcome and thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. That's a very nice introduction. Thank you for that as well. You're welcome. The audiobook for The Telltale was released earlier this year. Lucy Rayner's narration helped to make an already brilliant story even better. How did you find her and do you plan to use her for more of your books? I don't know, actually. It's time to print up the book for audio rights and she, they suggested her and I hadn't seen her name come up on any uh, sapphic fiction before actually and I think she's more well known for historic crime novels and it was actually perfect choice for this I think because it is a historic mystery as well so it lends that kind of I suppose BBC adaptation because she has a very um, sort of cut glass British accent um, so when I listened to the sample uh, that all came through this kind of classic BBC production vibe to it which I was really pleased with actually I hadn't known what to expect so they suggested her straight away um, and I couldn't see any reason not to to go with it really because she's her delivery is really good she brings out elements of the stories that you know that I hadn't realized were there little intonations of things she's actually a Brit living in USA and she does a really good cut class British accent but I wondered if she'd be okay with a bit snippets of Welsh in there because it's it's a tough language to get your mouth around if you're not used to there's quite a lot of phlegm involved if you're not ready. <laughs> so I wrote them saying is she comfortable with the snippets of Welsh there are not many in there and they wrote back saying actually she's from Abergavenny she'll be fine her family can help her <laughs> if she needs any help with pronunciation so I couldn't have had a more perfect narrator I don't think for that book actually. No, she was great. And I looked up to see if she was doing any more sapphic ones. And so far, not yet, but maybe in the future. I reread Poppy Jenkins recently. You set both Poppy and the Telltale in Wales, where you grew up. What do you think Poppy would think of what occurred in the Telltale? And given Poppy's younger sister, Pip, is so perceptive, I imagine she would solve the mystery before anyone else. Yeah, it's interesting, Yeah, that, that question, actually, because it's, it's very much the flip side of Poppy, the Telltale. It's kind of I wrote Poppy to kind of celebrate just how far gay rights had come at that point and how much easier it was to be in a small town in Wales and, and be a gay person. You could actually have a positive experience and you had marriage rights and things like that. And Poppy is this lucky character who has a very supportive family and the village is supportive of her as well. But it was interesting to write actually where that had all come from. What was the difference from the past? And you, So the telltale is definitely that flip side. I think, yeah, she'd be unnerved by it also <laughs> probably quite generous about why people were the way they are characters like Geraint who is definitely a baddie as you first meet him but then you kind of discover how he's been shaped and I think hopefully well maybe some readers have a little <laughs> bit more sympathy with him towards the end not necessarily like him but maybe understand kind of why some people are how they are interesting about Pip yes kids always kind of pick up on things that the grown-ups don't realise. Yes, they so I had a kind of hint of that with Nia in the book where, you know, there's this kind of the, the kids' world and the kids' gossip, which can go really off into fantasy <laughs> and fiction, but can also be very perceptive at times. So, yeah, I wouldn't put it past somebody like Pip to yeah, pick up on what was really going on. Oh, she would. That girl knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> the Goodmans is my favourite book ever, which I may have told you a time or 12. It's very much appreciated as well. 
if it were to be turned into a movie, who would you like to cast as the characters? Oh, it's interesting with that. There's... I do have three of the characters I have a good idea of, partly because when I form some characters, sometimes a, a person who'd play them or inspires them, um, a lot of actors, and they won't be how I imagine the character in the end because that, that character's formed out of so many things and they'll develop over the books and they'll be this very distinct individual by the end of it. But for three of the characters, the, some of the, the kind of ingredients for them were um, like, Celia, the grandmother, was definitely a Judy Dench. You know, a little sprinkle of Judy Dench goes in there. I think. My favorite. <laughs> then Juliet, actually Juliet Benoche didn't go very far with that one on the name. <laughs> that was definitely an inspiration there. Different vibe from her. But and then for Maggie, definitely that that spikiness of movement and kind of shrewdness. I think somebody like Annette Bening, that kind of, you know, sharpness, I think, comes in. I mean, the wrong kind of culture and things, but definitely that kind of side to her. Then don't know for the rest. Jude and Abby were just Jude and Abby from the beginning. They just kind of came fully formed in a way. So I, I'm, then I get lost. I'm hopeless at casting people I haven't really thought of before. <laughs> I could watch Juliet Binoche and Annette Bening making out. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> it's good. Jess and Anna in Finding Jessica Lambert may be my favorite of your couples. I love a good age gap, and this one works so well because despite their age gap, Jess's experience give her a maturity beyond her years. Was it a conscious decision to make Jess so mature to make the age gap seem less relevant? I think not not le- less relevant, perhaps, um, but I, I really like not just age gap in other things that where you have two people who should be quite different and that their their the expectations on them would be to be very different, but they can find you could always find commonality with people, even those that who should be the most different. And I think that was one of the sort of connections that I wanted to make that actually Jess is a lot younger, 15 year age gap, I think. But because she went out into the world and worked and was so exposed as a, a movie star, she's a lot more mature for her age, perhaps, or she hasn't gone down a prescribed route that most most people would. So her experience is very different. And that's um, kind of shaped her. So that that was a nice connection for the two to make. So yeah, a kind of deliberate connection to make, but rather than not get past the age gap, I suppose. But uh, yeah, and I, I, I do like people to look beyond the box that they're being put in to see how they connect to other people. I'm very, very fond of that in romances in particular. And they also have the connection of their shared careers and their experiences with mental illness and um, stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, there was a lot, a lot there actually. It was, it was nice to build that up. That two very, very different characters to have so much in common and support each other, but still in very different ways. And I, I like that particularly about that story. I know I love this too. What are you working on now, and when do you anticipate releasing it? Oh, well, after the Telltale, which is quite a dark ensemble piece, <laughs> lots of story going into it. I fancied a break from that. And so I've gone back to romance and quite a, you know, um, a friend's lover's romance that focused very much on the couple, although I might start it as a series. So this, <laughs> this is, uh, I want it, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I want it to be a series, but I take a long time to write things. So I'm not sure if I'll ever get there. But the, the theory, in theory, it should be the start of a series, but it can, it can stand alone. I'm writing it so that it's satisfying as a standalone read as well. But yes, yeah, um, Friends to Lovers, one of my favourite tropes. Um, I find with themes and tropes that I've done before, um, there'll be an element to it that I didn't really go into that I kind of, you know, skirted around the edges of and I fancy revisiting and looking at it in more detail. So I, I do this quite often that there'll be an aspect of one novel that I want to do in greater detail. So um, it's one of my favourite tropes. So that, that's what I'm doing with this one. And um, 
enjoying it enormously. And, uh, you know, I've got to the point in the novel where, you know, I don't care if nobody else likes it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll care later when it doesn't sell. But for now, I'm really happy with it. Well, good. As long as you like it. <laughs> you jump around genres effortlessly. What other genres do you plan to tackle? I think you could probably write an excellent zombie thriller. No. <laughs> We're not going anywhere near zombies. Benson <laughs> can keep those. <laughs> Make them behave better next time. That was a lot of blood. Just <laughs> walking. I don't know, actually. I don't know plans at the moment. But then, I mean, I've known for my core loves, I suppose, family drama, romance, um, mystery. That's what I revisited a lot. But then the historic angle, that was a surprise with the telltale. I didn't really see that coming before I started it. So, yeah, honestly, I don't know. But um, I'm always open to tackling uh, new genres and things. Okay, maybe a gnome book, like where you talk about how great garden gnomes are. Yeah, zombie gnomes. That that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. You and your wife are throwing a dinner party with two of your couples and two couples from other writers' books. Which couples would you invite and why? I'm going to cheat a bit here. Okay, do it. And also note that that's a lot of people visiting. <laughs> that's right. I'm not sure my wife and I are ready for that, but um, <laughs> very tempted, you know, just to do a short piece where Maggie, Juliet, and Abby and Jude from the Goodmans go and visit Poppy over the border because they're, they're geographically very close. So it's, it's always that temptation. I always imagine Rosalind and Maggie having a good old rant about the state of the world and wanting to put it to rights and Poppy having a nice conversation with Abby and Jude. So uh, I'm going to cheat a bit on that. I got a bit stuck on the others because, um, <laughs> yeah, it is rather alarming how many people were around the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> But because I was tempted to have, yeah, the uh, main couple from G. Benson's zombie book. But, you know, they're probably not the best people to invite around because there is always that danger of the zombie fight. Yeah, you don't know who's going to show up with them. So uh, maybe not them. So uh, maybe the main couple from Karen Callmaker's Captain of Industry. This is where my memory of names goes really bad. I can't remember the character names. I'm so bad with names. I, I forget my kids' names or get them wrong quite often. I'll start okay. sort of, I do the same. Start saying Joe and I'll mean Ellie and I'll end up calling out Jelly quite often. Just <laughs> the hysterics. Um, so main people there, Jennifer Lamont, I think, because she sounds fun and sexy. And same reason for main couple of To the Moon and Back of Melissa Braden's book. So purely the entertainment value, I think. I think that'd be good. <laughs> That'd be great. And probably have enough people to help you clean up so you won't have to be stressed out. <laughs> yeah, I should, have, I should have thought of a chef or something <laughs> to come around. <laughs> How did you meet your wife and what would you title the book based on your story? I do remember meeting my wife. That's a good start. Um, but I do remember <laughs> the first time I saw her and I remember the first time I talked to her, which on two different occasions as well. We were both living in Oxford at the time. We met at an LGBT bar that we both went to quite frequently with friends we had in common. And I remember somebody pointing her out as the ex of some a mutual friend. And she had really short hair at the time and blonde and really short haircut. And she was standing with a pool cue looking very butch and competent. <laughs> oh, she looks intimidating. <laughs> she looks a bit scary compared with wimpy me. Um, and honestly, you couldn't get further from the truth and that first impression was wildly wrong so when I actually talked to her when we went out with mutual friends in London yeah I discovered she was uh, very understated um very gently spoken very calm really clever she's um her job at the time was um spacecraft thermal engineer which is like rocket scientists oh, wow <laughs> she has this really arty side as well where she'll you know talk about pop music and books and films very unassuming I'm not sure if I should tell 
Because <laughs> I was always remembering the moment that I thought, now this is the woman for me, the, the, the court I fancy her was when, I don't know why we were talking about it. We were talking about buying clothes or wearing clothes or something. And she admitted that no matter how skinny she got, if her weight went up and down, she, her bum was always at least a UK size 14. And that was the moment <laughs> I thought, this is the woman for me. This is the woman with this curvy bum is the woman for me. And it was right. <laughs> there you go. Curvy bums are the best. <laughs> Your kids are at such a great age where they still want to hang out with you and probably they aren't too snarky yet. What are some of the things you enjoy doing most with them? Yeah, uh, this is quite a terrifying question because, you know, my youngest uh, nine-year-old, she's pretty sassy already, <laughs> so I don't know what she's going to be like as a teenager. I mean, one of her role models, I think, is Sophia off Golden Girls. She, she, she's quite sassy nice. already. I do like doing this. They are a really great age still because they're really cuddly and loving still, um, but they, they're they really good to talk to and they'll come out with great opinions, especially with, like, end of the day, we all – um, get together for family story time while I read a book because they're, I mean, the nine to 12 year old books that come out these days are brilliant. And we're doing some YA books as well. And it, it's so, it's such good fun to cuddle up at the end of the day and they'll ask really amazing questions and have such interesting thoughts about the stories as well. That's one of my favorite things still. And I know that they're going to want to stop soon, but I love it for now. Mine definitely stopped that a long time ago. But we read cars so many times when the little one was small. Oh my gosh, I could recite it word for word. You're not only known as Claire Ashton, but also as Tig. Where did that nickname come from? Yeah, Claire Ashton's my my real name, official name. And that wasn't very imaginative when I used it as a pet name. I didn't really think about it, probably should have done. But yes, no, um, it doesn't feel like a real name in some respects because everybody knows me as Tig. So from six months old when I had spiky hair as a baby and my parents just called me Tig after Mrs. Tiggy Winkle, the hedgehog in Beatrix Potter books, which were very popular at the time in the UK. And it's just stuck. So yeah, school, it was Tig, university, some jobs. Yeah, no, the kids call me Mommy Tig. It's um, <laughs> it's just just my name. <laughs> it suits you. You were born in England and still live there. What are some of the things you love most about your country? Because I grew up in Wales, so it, I have this odd kind of mix of cultures in a way because it's quite distinctive Wales. But uh, my parents were English, so I was an English first language speaker. They moved there when I before I started school, so I kind of think of myself as Welsh because my formative years were there, and a lot of my cultural references are very much Welsh ones. That where so you know if you, I have no idea what the English counties are, for example, I can draw you the inter, you know intricate shape of all the Welsh ones. <laughs> so at that kind of level, yeah. About UK in general, I I'm a big fan of outdoors. I I need my dose of countryside, even though we're on the edge of a big city here. And it's lovely and green and lush and doesn't have poisonous things here. <laughs> like, because I love the outdoors, but the thought of going you know, like hiking in some places in the US and Australia just frightened me so much. I'm really glad of the very benign wildlife we have in the UK. And uh, being a fairly quiet person as well, I quite like the sort of British understatement and quiet attitude. That's a broad generalization. There's some noisy buggers here as well. <laughs> but, uh, you take some great pictures. I think if you decide oh, to give up writing, you could be a photographer. Thank you. Now, I, it's another main hobby of mine. I love it, especially having the kids. I take, I mean, I, I want to document their lives because I'm so forgetful. I want to remember it all properly. <laughs> <laughs> COVID hit your family a few times. Have there been any lasting effects or any of you? 
probably me most of all. I was a bit vague and forgetful beforehand and <laughs> got a bit more foggy since, I think. But no, no, it set us back quite a few weeks. It was um, taken a while for my wife, both of me, to recover from. We had a bad dose of it in November, I think it was, and that, that was quite surprising. Kids seem to have bounced back, which is really a relief. They seem to get over it quite quickly, especially little one. She, she barely noticed at all, which is a big relief. No, we're doing okay. Yeah, that's good. You've been asked to go on a book tour with three other authors. Who would you like to accompany you? Oh, I'll go for Dee Benson. We've been talking about her. She is she is lovely and a good laugh. I've met her a couple of events. Also with Wendy Hudson. So I'll have Wendy Hudson along as well, who is also extremely funny. Um, she has a lot of true life stories, which would make amazing rom-coms. I think she's wasted on all the mystery. She, she needs to do these rom-coms. <laughs> I want to nick her ideas for them. <laughs> And then as a third one, I'd have my good buddy, Carrie Hunter, who's also really funny in a very different way. She's very down to earth and blunt and sort of very typical Northern England, tells you how it is. Uh, so she's been an excellent laugh as well. I just finished all of her Dark Peaks on audio. <laughs> That's my, those are my favourite. Those three, actually, yeah. having the, the relationship with the two heroines over the whole trilogy is is really wonderful. I think those the encapsulate all her best stuff there. This year has already given us some fabulous lesbic reads. What have been a few of your favorite books you've read so far this year? Well, I'm well behind on my reading because because of COVID and having brain fog, my concentration was gone at the beginning of the year. So I've been kind of well behind actually, but I have read Melissa Braden's latest and Georgia Beer's latest as well. So and I'll go with those because they they were top-notch as usual from those always yeah they're very consistent great writers very envious <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to write that many good books that's the thing kind of write that much and keep the quality up is quite a feat I think you're doing okay though thank you <laughs> <laughs> Claire thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me it truly was an honor and I appreciate it oh thank you very much for inviting me thanks so much for listening and thanks again to Claire Ashton for joining me today you can purchase all of Claire's books on Amazon. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash sapphiclaura. Or you can join my Patreon at patreon.com slash sapphicbookreviewpod, where you can listen to your favorite authors playing Would You Rather. Here's a sample of today's with Claire Ashton. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Would you rather attend a movie premiere with Jess and Anna or a protest with Maggie and Juliette? <laughs> hard. I want to do both of those. I really want to do That's not fair. Um, I know. Oh, I'm going to have to go with Maggie and Juliette, I'm afraid. I'm going to go and shout on the streets with Maggie. <laughs> oh, I would too. My girl. <laughs> I'd have to get dressed up and put makeup on. I don't have to do that if I go to a protest. <laughs> yeah, good point, actually. Would you rather give up cursing or ice cream? Oh, hard, actually, because I love ice cream. I make ice cream as well. I like cursing, big cursor, basically, and I had to tone it down for the kids when we had those. And I'm only just indulging in swear words again, and you want to take it away from oh. me. Um, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure I might give up ice cream.